0: hello everyone here we are about to have another conversation on the unearth podcast we have a very special guest today that i am super excited to speak to we have uh, mr chris Gabayen. Did I say that right
1: yes you do. okay
0: beautiful okay so uh yeah chris and i we uh we met uh, a couple months ago and um chris is uh you know involved in the military and uh I have to say, uh, I think um, we've definitely learned a lot about each other over these last couple months. And uh, yeah, we just, I kind of wanted to, you know, have a conversation about a lot of things that I think are not discussed enough about the military, um, what it's like um, being in the military. Um, Also, like when you come out and you have to kind of like assimilate back into sign and and training. So, but before we get into that, I kind of wanted... you to kind of introduce yourself man so i so so tell me man like tell me what branch you're in and what you've been doing in the military up until this point
1: so my name is christopher Kubine. Uh i was born and raised here on long island and so coming back to west Hempstead and stronghold this is this is my hometown and raised here my whole life didn't really move anywhere go anywhere until i commissioned uh, from st john's university right here in queens and then i left for virginia and fort bragg north carolina uh, I've been in the 82nd Airborne Division for the past three and a half years at this point, and it's been a pretty pretty crazy ride, to say the least. Um, I came back from a nine-month uh, non-combat rotation um, in Europe, mainly Poland, uh, from September of 2020 to July of 2020, 2021. And between just leaving New York, moving to North Carolina, the training, the experiences, the people that I've met, it has been such a wild ride. And it really has shaped me into the person I am today. And despite the challenges and the difficulties that I've been through, outside and inside of the military. Um, looking back on it now, I really wouldn't have changed anything. It has been um, an invaluable experience, more challenges than not more failures and successes, to be honest with you. But I would not be as clear I would not be as mature I would not be as experienced as I am now if I didn't go through those things
0: right and you know what led you exactly to get into the military because I feel like maybe a lot of people have a misconception of what the military is before they go in um you know for whatever reason um what was that point where you're like this is definitely what I want to do exactly
1: so this is always the funny story because i'm the last person if you knew me growing up in my family i'm the last person you would ever think would join the military right. and let alone be an officer and be this so far into my career and going into the career that i'm going into i was a normal kid my parents they are uh both filipino they both were born in the philippines my father uh was able to move here and he grew up in the united states actually in hempstead just the town over and my mother was born and raised in the Philippines and stayed there for most of her uh, adult, uh, young adult life. And so when they came over here, uh, I'm the second of uh, four children. We grew up and we wanted to just have a normal life. They lived a very traditional lifestyle. Uh, we followed the Roman Catholic faith. So I was raised in the church. I went to school here, uh, right in West Hempstead, went to high school down the road and went to college in Queens. But when I was young, in middle school, high school, I was, I was a good kid. They had good grades, followed what my parents told me to do. I was in band. I was in uh, honor society. And I just kind of did all the things that my parents told me to do. It was always following their path because they wanted to lead me down a good road. And that's all I thought. That's right. all I thought. But I was a skinny, shy, small, timid kid, kind of involved in sports, never really the best, played basketball for such a long time, wasn't really good at it, played the bench most of the time, <laughs> played baseball, played outfield, not really the best. Um, played a bit of tennis and volleyball in high school. Those are my main sports. And I was good, but I'm never really like a, like an athlete. I was very weak, not too strong, not really into physical fitness. But what drew me to the military is that I was involved in a leadership program here on Long Island called the Rotary Youth Leadership Awards. And I met a friend through that. um, And he was applying for a Navy ROTC scholarship. Okay. And the summer before, I think our senior year, he's telling me about the Navy opportunities, how he could commission into the Navy. And he's like, Chris, I think you'd be a really good fit for this. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I don't know what you're talking about. Me, like in the military. And I laughed. I laughed at him. It's like, dude, there's no way. Absolutely no way. And then that summer, me and that same person, we actually ended up going to um, this program called Boy State. Okay. It's run by the American Legion, but it's facilitated by. Um, Marine Corps, non-commissioned officers. So leaders okay. in the Marine ACOs. Corps. Okay. So here I am. I'm, I want to say, 16, 17 years old. And here I am going to a week-long program with a bunch of um, young boys from all across New York. And we're learning about civics, we're learning about uh, uh, civil society, and we're learning about our government, how it works, but run by the Marine Corps. So we're getting up, we're doing PT, we're doing marching formations. And there was something about the discipline there was something about the structure yes the structure the purpose and intent of what they were doing and I saw those guys I saw I'll never forget this guy his at that time it was Corporal Marco I think he's a staff sergeant or a gunnery sergeant of the Marine Corps now but he was confident he was fit he could be in front of a group of people and provide what the military says his leadership purpose direction and motivation and that's kind of cliche, right out of the book. But I was, as a young boy, I was looking at this guy. I was like, "This guy is capable. He's capable. He's 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 got it." Right. And I wanted to listen. I wanted to follow him. He was, and then beyond that, he was just a cool guy. And it was contagious. It was. It right. was. Everyone in our our group, I think it was like a county, we all enjoyed being there. There were some guys that just couldn't handle it. And at points, like I thought it kind of sucked because we were like doing pushups or like um, in the rain or outside, and that was just something that I was not used to. And so from there. With a couple more um, outside pieces of inspiration, uh, I was also involved the Boy Scouts here mm-hmm. in West Hempstead. so I had I always had this structure, structure in my life and some call to to helping others. Boy Scouts is heavily involved in community service and serving others and and leadership development. So, and,
0: and was kind of, your, and, and was like your your family were they receptive to this? were they accepting of this?
1: Not right away. Yeah. and it's really it, all this is a really funny story, like I said. And so after that um, experience of Boy State, I'm looking, I'm like, what can I really do with my life? I know I wanted to go to college. My parents pushed me towards the medical field. But I knew I wanted something more. Sure. I knew I wanted something more. I want something challenging. I wanted something that would challenge me in order to kind of selfishly become better for what I wanted to do later on in my life. And for some reason, it was the military that was calling me. I looked at my options. At first, I wanted to enlist in the National Guard or the reserves and go to college, but then I found the ROTC opportunity and put all my eggs in a basket. Mm. I didn't tell my parents, and this is right before my senior year of high school, I didn't tell my parents that I was applying for this scholarship and looking, talking to recruiters about um, what I wanted to do. But ROTC was a way for me to go to school, meet my parents' intent of going to college, because that was always the first priority, but also gaining the training, getting the experience in order to commission into the military. And it was, I think Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving of 2013. I made this big announcement at the dinner table and I go, mom and dad.
0: Was this while they were cutting the turkey or this was at dinner? (laughs) dinner. I think, I think, I
1: think think we ate already or what, uh, you know, dinner was over dinner was going on, but I'm like, mom, dad, I got to tell you something. Get the food out of your mouth Yeah, you, this, you might choke. Right? And it was like an oh, yeah. boy moment because yeah. they know I don't really say things like that. Right. And I told my mom that I want to join the military. And I'll tell you, the two reactions that I got, my dad was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And my mom she almost started crying. Um, my mom will always tell this story is that I had um, a distant relative in the Philippines. A distant relative in the Philippines that um, uh, I think was a high-ranking NCO or officer and He was unfortunately ambushed and he died because because of his service in the Philippines. Gotcha. And so my mom told me that and our perspectives on the story kind of differ sometimes, but she said that I said that it's in our blood. I didn't really believe that, but I told her and she was upset because she's like, why would you want to do that? You have to go to school. You got to focus on your studies. Why you're going to, you know, you're going to be in danger. You're going to get killed. And once I kind of explained to her the differences between, um, the different branches within the army and what I wanted to do originally, I wanted to go into the medical field, become either a PA or a doctor in the army or something else, Yes, but it was different. I didn't want to go into the combat arms. And so she didn't really understood what that was the differences until I joined ROTC, but my dad having ROTC friends and military friends in college, he kind of understood a little more, but it was, it was groundbreaking for them. It was like, they, they do not, they did not really support it at first, but I'm absolutely grateful and lucky that now that I'm here and I've experienced what I've gone through and through the help of like some other leaders, some other officers, NCOs that explained like what RTC was about and now that they see me and what the military has done for not just me but our family, they've come really to to support me through it. But that's that's the longest the longer short story okay. of how and, I got
0: and, here. And it's really funny because after you came in, then then your friends came in, um Xavier and Dave, who you went to high school with, and they're also in the military and you know in, in for the gym in order to come into the gym it's one of two things there's either a phone interview or there's an application you have to fill out and on the application you know uh one of the question is questions that's on there is you know what's the most difficult thing you've ever had to do in a fitness setting so here comes you know well oh, okay this guy dave he goes oh well i was in syria with like a 90 pound bomb suit on deployment and he was going through what he had to do I'm like oh wow yeah because you know what do you, you know you usually get oh like i had to do a 5k i did a spartan race i was like look, look, look at this guy and then you know it's so funny that the three of you were in high school together right yes and were you in the same graduating class yep, all yeah
1: in class of 2014.
0: yeah and and you're and you all ended up on a similar path right in the military um And I I thought it was so interesting, like all of you have the same humble demeanor. And I feel like this is another thing that's really cool. I've noticed with a, a lot of the military that I've trained over the years, you guys are constantly, and it's not a bad thing, you're evaluating everything and everyone. And man, is that a forgotten skill. I feel like people don't pay attention enough to what's going around them, let alone themselves. Right. And I feel like like that's like the first thing you can kind of tell when someone's in the military, like they're literally paying attention. They're asking questions. They're paying attention to everything. They're soaking in the environment. And we have a saying here, like control the environment, control the outcome. And I feel like that's kind of what you were just talking about, like that contagious um, stimulus that comes from the camaraderie within the military. Um, So once you got in what was like shifting your lifestyle what was that like and what got you through i guess all of those hurdles that you had you know because like you're, you're doing pt um you know there's a very strict dietary uh regimen you got to eat at these specific times you got to sleep at certain times you have your your superiors you have these these you have the structure now that you have to embrace right so how did you get through that exactly? Because I feel like most people would, you know, crumble.
1: So, so lifestyle change. Yeah. Lifestyle change. And this is going to come as a disclaimer that this is all my opinion. This is yeah, all my yeah, opinion. absolutely. Yeah. This does not, not reflect on what the Army tells us to oh, do with yeah, the yeah, DOD. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, just for anyone else out there that's listening, yeah, uh, this this is Christopher Gabine's opinion. Yeah. So lifestyle. For me, coming into the military, it wasn't too difficult to change my structure. Okay. I always had a very like regimented, planned out daily life, either in high school and even more so in college because college gave you a little taste of the military. You know, wake up at PT. I think PT for us was like 6.30 to 7.30 or 6 to 7. And always had that five days a week or four days a week, had your classes. So everything I knew was pretty structured. So coming into active duty, it didn't hit me too hard. At first, it was almost easier than college because I had less responsibilities. I was just focusing on work. Sure, But- the biggest thing i had to learn with the military in that sense is that you need to be adaptable you need to be adaptable for anything because you know what's coming in the beginning of the day you're going to come get the formation and you're going to salute the flag at 6 30 in the morning and then you start your pt whether that's going to be a run a strength workout for the day some kind of tactical pt you know that's going to be that finish up at eight o'clock 80 second airborne finishes at eight o'clock and then you shower and get ready and then you're either in the motor pool on monday at nine o'clock or 9:30 everywhere else anything else can happen through that day you can set your priorities beforehand you can set it in the morning you can um give you your subordinates in your team your uh, main focuses but anything else anything else can really happen sure. whether it's accidents or taskings that come down uh, i'm a logistics officer and so we are a customer based branch we support other units with supply with materials, with services, whatever it may be. And so we're always supporting someone else and random taskings can come here and there. All you really need to do is be adaptable. It's easier said than done, but you need to take a look at your schedule, your team schedule, your manpower, your capabilities in terms of vehicles, in terms of who can perform what functions, and then you manage it from there. If you can do it, you take it on, but if not, You elevate it up to the chain of command, the people who are in charge of you, and you give them a justified reason as to why you can't do it or what impact this will have on your focus, your priority, if you take on this extra mission, this extra tasking. But lifestyle-wise, honestly, it wasn't a huge change because at that point, I was already more so getting into fitness and training. I understood the standards of what I need to uphold. And for me, a big focus was, at first, was just focusing on Hey, learning the job, understanding what I needed to do, learning from your right-hand man as a platoon leader. That was my first job. I learned from my platoon sergeant, probably one of the best NCOs I've ever worked with. He's, at this point, I think he's got maybe 17 years in the military. He had just turned, I think, 39 or 40 years old. Okay. And so he showed me the way. He showed me a way, walked me around the motor pool, and he's like, hey, this is what's going on. These are the issues that we have. These are the things that I need to expect from you as my platoon leader. And I told him, just teach me. Yeah. Just really teach me. I asked him a bunch of questions. He right. probably at one point got a little annoyed with the questions, but that's how it should be. Yeah, of course. You need to, you said the word before, you need to humble yourself. Yeah, Humble yourself in order to, to learn the job, wherever you are, in the military or not. Always realize that there's been someone that's been doing it longer than you. Probably someone that has more experiences than you. I you need to understand that if you're especially new to the game, new to the career, new to Area of fitness, yeah, you need to you know slow down, humble yourself and and learn
0: and and you said the word before, you said adaptable, and that's kind of how I define capability. and with my with the clientele in here, it's like, look, like if you have a very specific objective, you know, obviously, then the training has to reflect that, but for me, I know I did my job right when you can go and do a 5k and handle yourself properly without getting buried even though you're not training for a 5k all year round same thing with strength like I want you to be able to lift to run where you can kind of go into any situation that requires a certain amount of capability and adapt towards it so I kind of wanted to see that's how I define capability it's your ability to adapt or right and how do you define capability it's going to be a little different from yours and that's okay and, yeah it's oh, a little yeah. different it's okay hey hey if you disagree with me that's okay too i don't i don't disagree yeah. but
1: i think capability up front simply is just your ability to do something to do something and your ability to do something enables your adaptability okay okay because i don't think you can be adaptable if you're not capable sure okay and the way i look at that is you need to be able to be, this is fitness, this is life, yeah. military. You need to be self-sufficient on your own. You need to have the skills, yes. the knowledge. You don't have to be an expert, but you need to have a, a, a nice, solid base foundation on whatever skill, whatever area that you're going to be working in before you can be adaptable. I think the two come hand in hand. I don't think that you need to be fully capable in order to be fully adaptable. Right. But you need some kind of bit, you need some base, you need a foundation in order to eventually become adaptable and flexible and whatever you're working in.
0: And I think that only comes from being self, you need to be self-reliant. And I I see this in gyms all the time. I see this with other trainers too. And again, I'm not I'm not saying I, I have all the answers and I I do, you know, I'm the best. But like the first thing you gotta learn when you come in here, you gotta learn how to set the barbell up, how to set your squat rack up how to put the dumbbells back like all of those things like i shouldn't have like look helping each other out is one thing but being dependent on people a hundred percent of the time is you know i feel like that can be damaging and i feel like that's kind of one of the things that the military teaches is like look like you yes you do have these people that you can depend on when shit hits the fan but ultimately that they're only dependable because they are self-reliant so like there's that saying right you uh you uh, give a man a fish. he eats for a day. You teach him how to fish. He eats for a lifetime. So it's like, look, if you don't know how to set up your barbell and I have to do it for you every time, and then you go out on your own. Let's say the gym closes down. Let's say you move. you go on vacation. now what? Very true. And I feel like that's another great thing that 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 the military teaches. like, look, like you need to be autonomous. um. At, at to to some degree so the autonomy can create this camaraderie within the unit that you're in definitely
1: and the way i look at this is the military matures you really quick yes you imagine for a young soldier coming to basic training their age, their age is roughly around 18 to 20 18 to 20 and then they finally get to their units around 20 maybe still 19 20 years old and the old saying goes, be at the right place at the right time in the right uniform. <laughs> and that includes having like the right equipment or right. whatever you need for the day. It's part of your uniform. And that is one of the simple aspects about for one soldiering, but about life that it doesn't take any talent. It doesn't take money. It doesn't take really any extra external yes, like ha- like happenings or forces. If you need, if you know, you need to be a PT in the morning, at six thirty, or really 620, 10 minutes they do the whole 10 minutes prior to the actual time it's pretty easy especially if you live right there yeah you know you, you lay your clothes at either the night or you wake up early before you get there and, and you know what you got to do and i think that's so transferable and applicable to other aspects of life because one of the first things that you can do for yourself is just show up yeah. you, you got to show up and be ready show up and be ready and with the military maturing you so fast, you have to be ready for so many different things. And I learned that fast. I like I said, I moved out of New York, spent about four months in Virginia for school, but then came to Fort Bragg. It was the first time I really lived on my own. I was as a platoon leader in charge of at most 86 people right off the bat. Wow. My first job. Wow. And that a typical platoon leader job is like, you know, maybe 18, 20, 30 people. And I thought that's what I was getting. I walked in this platoon and he's like, you know, are we about like 80, 82, 86 people at one point? I'm like, there's no way, but that's what you have a team for. So you first need to be self-reliant as an officer, as a leader
0: Yes. inside the person. military or
1: not, as a person, you need yeah. to be self-reliant in order to make sure that you have your life figured out, planned, organized, it doesn't have to be perfect, but at least have some sense of stability, sense of purpose and meaning of what you're doing and understanding what you're doing, and then Military wise, you have your right hand man you lean on, your platoon sergeant, that works with his or her section leaders and squad leaders. So it just kind of goes down a tree. Right. Yeah, two main leaders, one main platoon leader, one platoon sergeant, and brings down. You got your four squad leaders that have their own squads of, you know, maybe 10 or 20 people. And they have team leaders within there. And the team leaders may be responsible for five, three to five people doctrinally by the army. But it it all works. And in a perfect world, it's easy platoon leader tells platoon sergeant and squad leaders hey this is what's going on squad leaders tell their team leaders hey this is what's going on team leaders tell the soldiers starts from the it's going it starts from the top and as you as the leader if you're responsible for something you better own it exactly you better own it and make sure that you are doing everything that you can in order to be successful there first yes because I don't believe that you can be an effective leader of a team if you can't effectively lead yourself of
0: course of course and having said that, why do you think most people uh, fail uh, within the military? Meaning it, they just could not handle the psychological and physical stress, the, the, the expectations. You know, What do you think char- like character trait-wise is a common denominator for that?
1: I don't think it's a trait. Okay. I think it's a mindset. And okay. I'll put it as simply as this. People will fail in the military. People will fail in their own lives, whatever it may be. I believe so because they don't want it that bad. Mm-hmm. I knew I could not afford college on my own. That's why I sought National Guard Reserves. I knew my family could not afford to pay it up front. I did not want to take out a loan. I bet on myself. I put all you my eggs rest. in a basket. I did, I did. It probably wasn't the best plan, but why not be convicted in yourself and your plan and go for it right. rather than just like leave it up to risk or not have any options. Right. I was out of shape when I first joined or was first thinking about joining. I could barely run two miles in 18 minutes. Barely. That's like a yeah. you know, the nine minute pace. That's That's not very good for a male. And I had to get in shape. I had a free period at the end of uh, my senior year, at the end of every day. And I went to one of my gym teachers who was a CrossFit coach. And I asked her for workouts. Oh, I
0: didn't know that. Very cool.
1: Me and uh, one of my best friends, Brian, who just actually got out of the Air Force. We were good kids, not really the best shape. And so we took every free period, lunch, me before, like volleyball games or whatever. And what we did is we worked out. We did these CrossFit workouts, maybe not knowing exactly what we were doing. But we did these workouts in order to get in shape. We test each other every day doing like sit ups before practice, push ups, running. And we traded off on our strengths. He was more like muscularly strong. And then here I was, I was a little bit better on the runs. We pushed each other. Yeah. We pushed each other in order to take just our preliminary uh, scholarship application, right. PT tests. He, I had to run like, it was one minute of push ups, one minute of sit ups, and a mile run.
0: So it's similar to like the end. like the, it, It's similar to the actual. It was just half. just yeah, exactly. half of everything. Yeah.
1: But I bet on myself. I said, you need to get in shape. I did the application all on my own. I applied for it in secret without sure. even telling my parents. And then once I finally told them, the last thing I needed to do was to go to – I actually went to St. John's, and I was interviewed by a lieutenant colonel. Oh. Pretty much asking me why I wanted to be an ROTC. He's still to this day one of the, the coolest – and best officers I've ever met, Lieutenant Colonel. I think he's now Colonel uh, Joseph Pyshock. But I, I, I had to bet on myself, and you needed. I needed to be so invested into what I was doing, or else it, it was either get the scholarship, go to college, or fail.
0: I was just going to ask you, what would so? What's the option if you fail at this? Like, what was I, left for you?
1: I didn't even think about exactly. it. Exactly. I didn't even think about I'm, it.
0: I'm going to say it probably would have been something maybe not as desirable, maybe maybe something you, were, you weren't as passionate about um, in whatever capacity that may have been. And I feel like this is a big problem with society today. Not that everyone should do this, but I feel like some people do need to do this. You know, people don't place themselves in a predicament where it's like, hey, there's only one way to go right now, and it's forward. Like- sometimes you do have to place yourself in that position where it's like and look it doesn't have to be like a like a you know a life or death type of thing but it's like look like hey you know what if i really want this this bad it doesn't matter that the failure of not getting this thing that i want is not going to happen and i may end up broke i may end up without a job or no more options like it doesn't matter because I want it so bad and I'm going to do everything that I can to kind of get there. And that's really what happened with the gym, with this place. It was like, Hey, I emptied out my bank account. What was I in my early to mid twenties? If I, if this doesn't work, I'm broke. Like that's it. And you know, my, so in my head, I was like, you know what, if this is meant to be, And if I want it that fucking bad, I will make it happen. And I feel like that's kind of what you did with this. And similarly, you allowed your physicality to kind of guide you through that process, right?
1: So for me, it doesn't matter if it's the military, if it's a goal that you want, if it's your family, your life. I think that people fail or don't reach their goals because one, you just don't want it that bad. Which that is your your intrinsic. That is your internal reason of why you're doing this. And if you don't want it that bad, that's going to lead to a lack of discipline, a lack of accountability, self-accountability, and a lack of initiative. And if you don't have initiative, you're not going to take action. And you're just going to sit there wondering why you're not getting better, why you're not reaching your goals, why nothing's improving. Massive action takes massive
0: change. And it kind of works both ways around right and i think just like you you know i you know i well maybe not like you but i got tired of following this arbitrary recipe that my family had for me and look it was in the best interest you know same thing i was supposed to be an attorney they're like you know you're gonna be a doctor or a lawyer you're a piece of shit like that's what i grew up with so it was like owning a gym was like what (laughs) like what the hell right like 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 what is that and there was no point of reference you know no one in my family had ever done this before um so do you feel like people having said that do you feel like people people's relationship with risk is not what it should be that it's unhealthy that it's like hey look I'm going to live in bubble wrap all day I'm going to avoid as much discomfort as possible Because the byproduct of that discomfort, I don't associate it with a positive outcome.
1: Oh, I absolutely agree. Because Mm -hmm. in my life, pretty much before joining the military, before college, I didn't take that many risks. Mm -hmm. I did not take risks. I did not challenge myself outside of what I was already being given. Like school, studying, taking a test, it's difficult, but it's not really challenging me. And... I guess, simply put, I could. I wish that I took more risks. Yes. When I was younger, the biggest risk I probably took was Agreed. going full into this ROTC scholarship because there was nothing else. That's risk because I had that option or nothing else. <laughs> yeah. In terms of anything else that I do now, challenge is the only way you're going to grow. Risk is the only means in which that you are going to find. That challenge
0: and confrontation leads to understanding, definitely, and definitely. It, right? It's like, you know, and and I say this too. It's like all the the secrets that you're looking for. I know your hips are tight from sitting down. <laughs> I know, me too. Let me tell you something. I am so glad, just as a side note, that we started this thing at twelve. Because when I finished training at eleven, I was like, I threw up on my mouth like three times, like. I didn't I didn't it did a projectile out but it was about too like I was incapacitated I was I was a disaster so and I told Stellios
1: the <laughs> same thing like the same thing happened to me that it it just happens sometimes and you need some time to recover so. I know
0: exactly like, perfect topic yeah, yeah yeah so um like I was saying before though um besides you know confronting things uh, to understand um I, you know I I I do feel like that the apprehension, the hesitation to not take those risks and to voluntarily avoid discomfort. Yes, it's a, it's a safety thing, but I think it's also a confidence thing. I, I think a lot of people deep down, I think the core is not really like I just don't enjoy the discomfort. I think it's they're not confident enough where they think they can get over that the obstacle, whatever it is.
1: Challenge builds confidence. Yes. And you need to do everything that you can with within your control, even out of your control, mm-hmm. to put yourself in challenging situations. And that can start as simply as physical fitness. Discipline yourself to put yourself in a challenging situation every day. In a controlled environment like a gym, in the military, where you can physically you know, challenge yourself Your mind, your body, that that sets you a level above against someone who doesn't train, against someone who doesn't go to the gym, because that level of stimulus in the gym is going to increase your threshold, at least at the minimum, for physical pain, which leads to mental toughness and resilience.
0: Yeah, and and that's really, I I don't think people realize this, what fitness does And I'm talking about genuine efforts, things that really you got to dig deep. It forces you to live in the now because we're constantly doing one of two things. We're worried about how we fucked up in the past or worried about the thing in the future that hasn't happened yet. And what fitness does, it literally forces you to focus on the now. My condition, what is my condition right now? What are my flaws? What are my weaknesses? What are my strengths? Why am I here? The why, the how. It forces you to focus in on the moment. And I, I, I don't think people do that enough. And that's why they get distracted. And that's it, another reason why they're worried about failing. And, and how do you, how do you, what's your training process like? And how do you deal with failure during your training? I talk about failure all day. Yeah, me too. And failure is my friend. It really is. It really is.
1: I've only learned the biggest lessons in my life through failure and challenge. Yeah. And my training has, has evolved over the course of the past, I'd like to say, five years. Sometimes it focuses for certain
0: competitions or events for the military or whatnot. So you're not doing bench press on on Monday. On that international chess day, you know? I mean, sometimes
1: you got to. <laughs> sometimes you have to. And the way my program is right now, yeah. I, I am benching uh, on Monday, yeah. but that's just because it works. Yes. But the way the way I train now is, I'm focusing. I'm I'm focusing on an ultra marathon. It is a Spartan ultra marathon, so it's uh, fifty kilometers, roughly thirty-one miles, and sixty obstacles, which are mainly upper body grip strength based obstacles. I'll be running this on May fourteenth. 2022 that's this year and for me it's one of the most daunting things i've ever taken on because i've never ran that far in my life um last year in february of 2021 i ran my first marathon and it was on a treadmill oh my I god i ran it You fucking... i ran it three hours and 25 minutes and a treadmill. It, it was honestly it was it was great it was a great experience but it was also so dumb spending <laughs> that much time on a treadmill like running all day and going nowhere but um it's amazing how far you could go without
0: going anywhere yeah isn't pretty it? much like, yeah
1: but uh when i first got to uh europe and poland in pretty much october of 2020 i wanted to run the austin marathon okay in february 2021 however obviously i was gone so i was gonna run virtually but outside yeah. outside we were locked down because of our restrictions uh the winter in sure. Poland was absolutely brutal. Ice, snow everywhere, every other day. And so I just started to to run on a treadmill because it, it, it worked. It was the only place to run. Midway through my training, I think it was even before midway, um, I had this really bad uh, calf strain. Really bad calf strain where I couldn't run. I remember you were telling me about this. yeah yes. it was it was it was really bad. Like I could not run, I couldn't really like lift or extend my calf. Like even if I did a calf raise, it it, it was ridiculous. So I had to just let it rest. And I just walked for maybe about a month. But I didn't let it stop me. I, I did cardio where I can, spent a lot of time on the assault bike, um oh. and the rower, which was which was brutal. But I stuck it through and I adapted. I changed my plan. And I did maybe three shorter runs, middle distance runs in the middle of the week. And I would wake up early on Sunday morning around 5.30, 6 o'clock. And I would just do my long run. And it was at the point where I ran a half marathon on the treadmill for a training run. I'm like, it makes more sense to run this on, on a treadmill. And so that was my focus. And so coming back to now, I'm now just starting training for this ultra marathon. And I, I'm i excited. I'm I'm super excited absolutely hyped in order to run this because it's going to be not too far from fort bragg it's going to be in north carolina
0: and how many miles is it 31 so-
1: 31 and so it's just something i never experienced before there's a lot of other people doing like like triathlons <laughs> yeah. ironmans um even longer distance marathons but for me this is my challenge this year this is my challenge and it's something that i've never done before and so i'm excited i'm, I'm really excited in order to just kind of Dig into more endurance. Yes. Because if there's one thing that I've learned in training, especially for endurance, is that you can't fake it and nothing can replace the time that you put in on the road.
0: Yes. There's no substitute for time. And for all the people that are listening, intensity is not a substitute for duration. It's not. So, and, and, and this is a lot of flaw that you see in programming where it's like, hey, like, look, like I, and I think it's a, it's a byproduct of the, of the client not having the time themselves where it's like, look, like I don't have an hour, an hour and a half, excuse me. And it's not quote unquote, maybe sexy, right? You know, it's, it's much cooler to watch someone do a one minute all out effort on a treadmill or a bike. And then, you know, they, they lay down, they do the sweat angel and then they, you know, they're doing the Emily Rose projectile vomit thing. Then the guy that just, the guy that's in zone two at conversation pace on a treadmill for 30 minutes. Right. So yeah, there, there is no substitute for time. And this is something that we've been exploring here, but yeah, go ahead. I mean, What have you learned from endurance? like Because I I know you really started delving into this like recently.
1: So between last year's marathon training and now, I've learned so much. And going back to the topic of just being humble, you have to humble yourself. Uh, What Thelios mentioned before is zone two training. And I've learned this a lot from other endurance runners. This is a concept that's been around in the endurance world for a while that I've just recently picked up. But it's um, the 80-20 rule. Yes. And saying that 80% of your training for endurance should be at a zone two heart rate level or a conversational pace. And 20% should be at your, your tempo, your fast pace, your um, zone four or five intensities. And so it manages your strain it manages your training in order to prevent further injury, prevent overstraining your body and really just building your aerobic base which is going to be the foundation for your ability to run, bike, swim long distances and
0: and miles. And, and another thing that is not spoken about, and I actually had a really great conversation with your friend, Xavier, I believe he's in the 101st, right? Um,
1: No, he's down at Fort Benning.
0: Oh, it's Fort Benning. I'm sorry. Yeah. So um, uh, he is, uh, but he was, he's in the army and he would say, Hey, like, look, like, you know, I kind of want to, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going back. He's like, I'm going back to train and, you know, I'm doing this, this, you know, extensive process, uh, training regimen thing. And uh, he was asking me about endurance and these longer runs. Cause you know, your, your friend Xavier is a, is a beast. He's a, he's a specimen that yeah. is a, that is a strong dude. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, I go, well, look like, like, well, what do you have a problem with? Because, and, and this is what I was saying before, before we started talking about our hips and me, dying before in training you know the secret is the secret that you're looking for is always going to be residing in the work that you've been avoiding that might be a strength thing it might be a a sleep thing it might be an endurance thing so he was telling me hey look like i don't really do a lot of running i know this thing that i'm going to be doing moving forward is going to involve a lot of running so like what should i be doing and i'm like take care of your fucking feet self-care not wrong hygiene and and that's that right there is not what's talked about enough and it's also um, I, I think it's it's not thought about because it's such like a basic thing it's like my feet like what do you mean I need an extra pair of socks what do you mean I need to pay attention to how much sweat is coming off of? because let me tell you something people don't realize this yeah guess what that that face cream that you put on in the fucking morning? um on your fucking forehead uh guess what the sweat that's coming down that mixes with that stuff when that goes into your eye sockets you're not going to be able to see where you're running <laughs> and it's gonna hurt um so I, I tell people all the time like look like 30 minutes is you know you know you wherever you start you start at 30 minutes you start at 40 minutes you really want to see what self-care and hygiene how far it takes you and how important it is you got to start doing like an hour and a half two hours. At, again, what you were saying, this zone two type of pace, uh, but you were saying, I um, Oh, I definitely,
1: yeah. I definitely agree with not just yeah. taking care of your feet, but taking care of your body. Everything. Yes. One thing that, again, this is my opinion as a sure. uh, Christopher Gabine over here. Mm-hmm. One thing that the military has done wrong and just trying to fix now is this whole culture of max effort and intensity. Yes. Every time in big divisions, like the 82nd, the 101st um, you're like you see guys that don't have any real credentials in training. The army has developed like a mass master fitness training program. It's, it's got some great leaders in it, but, um, you have, you know, junior leaders, non-commissioned officers telling people to run like five miles, four times a week at max intensity. And that, is, that is far from how we should be training. I've been wearing a whoop strap. Yeah. Um, some of you fitness enthusiasts out there might've seen whoop, um, but it's essentially a fitness tracker that measures your strain and your recovery. Yes. And it'll balance that out on a graph weekly, monthly to show you how well you are really recovering from not just your workouts, but from your life and And then strain and your strain from not just your workouts, but everything you do. And so one of the biggest factors for me that I've learned is that the way the military has been training me and everyone in the past I've only been in for three years, but is that we are overtraining and under recovering. Yes. Overtraining and under recovering. And one of the best ways that you can mitigate recovery and get better recovery is to just go to bed earlier. Right. I can think about college. I think about my first couple years in the military. I was going to sleep at maybe 11, 12 o'clock and waking up at 5 36. It suggested that adults get re- at least seven hours of sleep to get a proper um, amount of Recovered. rapid eye, rapid eye movement rapid. and yep. deep sleep uh, and light <laughs> sleep in order to get a full, real a real full deep cycle of sleep. And I was not doing that. Yeah. I was definitely not doing that. And through the data and analytics that Whoop has been giving me, I've adjusted my sleep and I make sure that I try to get – And I was getting – my baseline, I've been getting around four and a half, five hours of sleep terrible because it measures your time in bed but also the amount you've actually been sleeping yeah
0: see that's the other thing that people don't it's like oh i i went to bed at eight well no wait you were tossing and turning for three or you're on your phone and you're on your phone yeah just because you're in bed <laughs> you know the quality of the just like the quality of training like mm-hmm. look i could be in the gym for two hours i don't know taking selfies doing bicep curls all fucking. i don't know the, the quality's not there And, you know, and then you hear this all the time. Oh, well, how do I get better at four miles of running? Well, do more running? (laughs) Well, that's part of it. It's like, hey, man, like, you know why your knee hurts? Pay attention to that. Maybe the way you're running is a problem. Maybe the blisters on your feet. Maybe the the amount of sweat. Maybe you're not hydrate. Maybe it's even, it's not a muscular thing. Maybe you're just not hydrated enough. Maybe the food you're eating the day before is not carrying you over well enough because you're, you're not satiated. Right. So a lot of, yeah, I I totally agree. You also see this in the collegiate sports athletics too. I feel like they've gotten better also. Um, but it's like, yeah, like, like I was telling, I was telling your friends, like, Hey man, look like you're a very fit person. Just like you, you're very fit, Dave, very fit. So don't worry about that because you guys know at this point how to not just maintain that, but make it better. So let's focus on these other things that maybe I haven't been paying attention to, the sleep, the hydration, uh, foot hygiene, self-care, whatever that may be. And I also try to tell my clients in here, it's like, hey, look, like you coming in, I'd rather you come in three days a week, quality training, and then you pay attention to this recovery on those other days than like, oh yes, seven days, You know uh 100 all out as hard as i can you know roll around like i'm having a seizure on the floor and advertise everyone how hard i'm working because that makes my ego feel better no (laughs) like like there's a fine line between and and i and i say this all the time it's like i feel like people don't work hard enough on their hard days and then they work too hard on the days where they should be resting
1: and that's really the foundation of endurance training as well other people have told me this, and it's make your easy days easy, but make your hard days hard. Mm-hmm. And it sounds really simple, kind of sounds a little cliche and redundant, no, but, but
0: <laughs> that, that's that's where you make your money. That's your bread and butter. Yeah. And, and and the irony with endurance training, you know, the human species is, you know, like you know, two hundred thousand years old, or whatever. And it's like we've gotten here because of endurance. You know, it's not exclusive to running a marathon or whatever, like. Like, think about like what we were doing. We were going from place to place. We were doing, we were hunting, we were gathering, we were nomads, we were moving all over the place. Like we got here because of endurance and because of that mechanism, we were able to get to this point as a, as a species, right? So it's, it's kind of ironic. It's like this thing that got us here in the first place, the majority of people don't even pursue, <laughs> even though that's what kind of got us here in the first place, right?
1: We're making ourselves a little too comfortable. Yes. And I catch myself doing that yes. all the time. Yes. It's really easy to fall into. And I think the most important thing is. How do you mitigate that? You, you recognize you get comfortable, but <laughs> that, that that that's a big thing. You can't really teach it to people. And then you slap yourself. You, know, no. you, you realize it yourself. And I'm so guilty of this. You Me realize too. you get comfortable. And the way that you said, like, the way you can mitigate this, the way you could get out of it is really. you got to just find something that scares you find something that challenges you. For me last year, it was, it was the marathon for me this year. It's, uh, it's the ultra marathon. Sure. And you just gotta, sometimes just gotta do it for, for so long between around September to um, November, I was just itching. I was itching for something new. I was really itching for a challenge and whether that was a physical, mental, um, Whatever it may be in my life, and I have other things going on that are definitely doing that for me. But in the physical realm, I'm like, all right, what's what's next? What's next? I see um, uh, James Lawrence, the Iron Cowboy. He did 101 consecutive full distance triathlons. 101. You see guys like that, and you see people. Um, Nick Bear, the CEO of Bear Performance Nutrition that I work closely with, he just ran his first 100 mile race in Leadville, Colorado. And you just see from the experiences that these people go through, it's it's not just, it's not the race. It's not just, right. oh, look, it's 100 miles. You look at what these people experience and endure during those moments, where their mind goes, and what it really teaches about them. And for me, I'm just like, man, I, I, I'm like, almost scratching. Like yeah, I got to and- find something that's really going to teach me about myself. And everyone that tells me about an ultramarathon or an Ironman or triathlon – tells me that in your endurance training in your deepest darkest challenges is where you find out so much about yourself not just physically but emotionally mentally
0: and and you know piggybacking off of that what was the lowest part of your life up until this point and what got you out of it I know we're we're gonna go deep man (sighs) so there's been a lot of lows yeah like
1: I said before like I've probably had way more failures than I've had successes but recently and I preface this with this is this is my personal experience in in terms of the military i haven't done a whole lot i haven't deployed to a combat zone my rotation was non-combat in the european theater but the time that i did spend away over there for that extended period of time was probably the lowest part of my life my adult life recently and there's a couple there's a good amount of factors that go into this so I'll, i'll dive into it um about three weeks before we deployed in September of 2020, I was made to be what you call the company executive officer. It's the right-hand man to the company commander. You're expected to execute duties as the commander and oversee the entire company's operations, administrative, their training, and everything kind of just filters through you. Everything in the company is filters through you. i will call, call you the XO. Sure. And... I soon discovered and experienced that my commander was just a toxic leader, mm.
0: a... Why was a, he a toxic leader? Um, not to cut you off. Or if you can't get into that, I'll, I'll kind of explain yeah, a yeah. little
1: more. This person was a toxic leader, not really respectful in the most professional and personal ways, and was really two-faced. Okay. in a way and would put on a smile, act respectful in front of the superiors, the people that needed to see the commander. But in terms of their the team, subordinates, the commander did not treat us with any level of respect. So in a command team, you have a commander and a company first sergeant. our first sergeant had, I think this one 15 years in the army, a 40-year-old man. Here I am, the executive officer, and the between three of us, we, we kind of, we run the company, we run the team. We make decisions in order to benefit the team. And if you're in the military, you kind of understand this relationship, but there was no relationship, right? There was zero trust, right? The commander top down to the first sergeant, the executive officer, the platoon leaders, the platoon sergeants, there was no trust. There was definitely favoritism and there was I think just a a lack of a willingness to want to treat people well okay and I don't know what it was I could not understand it but the only thing that I really could do at first I thought was just hey let me let me do my job let me do the best that I can to to meet the commander's intent to get all these tasks and objective done to delegate where I can but I was buried I was from the get-go we were working up until 11 11 p.m. before we even deployed for 3 weeks and you have soldiers the morale is going down their families are not being taken care of properly our higher units not really taking care of us yeah. but that's besides the point but it was really tough so we already worked hard we were working hard getting to the deployment then we get there and i was not able to execute as expected, given the empowerment and trust in order to do my job, I was working 100, 110, 120 hours a week at most at one point, getting everything done and fulfilling pretty much everything that the commander needed. Yeah, sure. And anything that sure. they asked of me, of the first sergeant of the company, we, we provided. And it was almost like trying to run out of a room with no walls, like doing the best you can every single day, doing the right thing. Legally, morally, ethically, and being told that I don't know my job, that I don't know what I'm doing, that I'm doing the wrong thing. I was, I was constantly being demoralized. Yeah. And I, at first, I thought it was just me. I brought this up to my company first sergeant, my fellow platoon leaders, and everyone had also told me that they experienced the same. There's so many more details and so much more context that I could dive into this. Right. However, I'll bring this into a, a, a lesson point. Is that as a leader, you you choose to be a leader, you volunteer to be a leader. Right. And if you're put into a position where you're appointed to look out for your team, you're not being looked after. Yeah. I felt like I was I was fighting, I was fighting out there. And it wasn't, it wasn't a combat deployment. It wasn't, I wasn't fighting, you know, enemies of the United States. I was unfortunately in fighting an enemy within our own ranks. And that's the way I see it. I felt it. It wasn't just gotcha. me, it was every other leader in that organization that felt. Patronized, belittled, disrespected, not given any trust, and then when you're expected to perform every single day under those no, conditions, under, no one wanted to go to work. Right? No one wanted to go to work. We were still putting out the effort because that's that's what we do yeah. as leaders. We do it for our teams. I tried to shed and block that that toxicity and the negativity from my subordinates. Mm-hmm. But I worked in the in the company headquarters. Yeah. What are you re- do you directly for the commander and at the end of the day i can say that there was unethical immoral things that were happening over there and i couldn't do anything about it i tried to hold people accountable yeah and-, and it it was it was it was just a nightmare every single day i was just doing my best and the only thing that i could do was endure persist and and get through in order to just do the best that i could for my team
0: yeah and i think you I think this is a perfect example of how responsibility works because I really don't think that responsibility is given. I think it's taken because look, like I could say, Hey, Chris, you have to do a, B and C, but unless you actually do it, and you physically go and take the responsibility yourself. It's never going to happen. And you know, not that anyone wants to go through what you, you just, you know, explained, but I think it is important that people do go through a variation of what you went through. Cause I did it also. And I think this is part of being, this is part of leadership. Like if I don't know what bad leadership looks like, then I don't know what, like I need, I need the contrast. I need a duality. And I was involved in an organization, you know, it was, it was a bunch of dojos. I went through a very, very similar type of uh, relationship with we'll call it the the upper authorities whatever the 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 owners the, the the people and it was you know and I think the where that starts is as a leader the further away from being hands-on you are the worse it gets and I I saw it across you know there were there were these 10 dojos and I was helping manage a decent amount of them and you know, you know it's not the military, but there's a chain of command. It's like there's the two head guys, and then there's these managers that run it, and then there's people under them. And it's like, look, like everyone. The first problem was everyone stopped training. So number one, you're already out of touch with what's going on on a physical aspect, and because you're out of touch with with what's going on on a physical aspect, you don't understand what's going on on a psychological aspect. And it was the same thing. There was favoritism. Uh, There was hypocrisy, there was disrespect, there was like blatant, um, there was blatant uh, just discord throughout the entirety of uh, of the company and the organization. And I really, what was horrible is because that organization that I was a part of, there was such a beautiful, heartfelt camaraderie between the instructors, the students, and the owners. And that all was just slowly deteriorating away. And I guess that left me bitter. But I because I saw everything that they did was quote unquote wrong, I knew not to bring that into my own business when I decided to do this. So I think it I think it is good. I do think, you know, unfortunately, you have to eat plates of shit <laughs> to kind of see what that's like. Um in, in my opinion,
1: and you, you said it before: this you, you can't have one without knowing the other. Yeah, and I can say now that after that deployment rotation, after coming back and having time to really reflect right. on the things I did right, the things I did wrong, the things that were done wrong onto me, my team, my peers, um, it really taught me a lot. It really taught me a lot, and one of those first things that I always said to myself during that deployment. And even now is just maintain your standard. Yeah. Maintain your standard. And for me as, as a man, as a leader, I never let myself alter. I can proudly say that during that whole time, I never, I never fought back. Right. I never yelled. I never, I was yelled at. I was berated. I was, I never yelled back. I did what I, need to do as a loyal subordinate at the end of the day. And I respected the command, respected the commander, maybe to a fault, maybe because that's what you know, the military teaches you to do. But I made sure that I maintained my standard in order to keep setting the example for the people that were relying on me.
0: Right. And you know what? It's it's funny you say that, uh, because I had a conversation with a bunch of my friends who I hadn't seen in a long time. And let's just say some of them were in law enforcement. Well, they are. And, um, one of them had said something. Now I was the only one at that table that was not in law enforcement. So I just, I, I felt like I didn't really have a right to say anything, but the the person, my, my friend had a problem with, I guess calling his superior by their title, right? Their supervisor, whatever. And he had a problem with it. So, you know, long story short, there were a couple times where he didn't call him by his title or his rank. And the other officers there were like, why aren't you doing that? He goes, well, I had saw him, you know, um, in the gym and I didn't call him by that. And he was fine. They was not okay. But they're like, it doesn't matter. Like if, if because the gym is inside the precinct and it doesn't it doesn't matter because it's. He, it's not about you. It's about the company. It's about the unit. It's about the, the department that which you're in. So sometimes you do have to swallow your pride and you do have to, even though if it is, let's say an abuse, sometimes not that you shouldn't speak up, but look like sometimes it's like, if it is one thing, obviously, but look, sometimes it's like, Hey, look, like it's not about me getting the last word in. It's about me setting that example because it's not about me. I am not bigger than the army, than the police department, than the FDNY, than the company that I work in. And that takes that takes some um, that takes some uh, you know I guess reservation within the self, right? And are
1: you familiar with uh, who Jocko Willink is? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so I read jo- his book, uh, Discipline
0: Equals Discipline freedom. freedom. But one yes. of my favorite He's great.
1: pieces or quotes from him that I try to carry around and like remember is he says that leadership is all on you, but it's not about you. And in our case, in your friend's case, in my case, for me to be a good leader, sometimes I need to be I needed to be a good follower. I needed to be loyal. Yeah, I needed to be obedient. Maybe to a fault, like I said, through the, we can even call it some some emotional, sure. professional abuse in a way. And yeah. I, I, like I said, I'm not going to go into the details. Yeah, it's, that's okay. It's just too much. Sure. And I'm sure that a lot of other people in the military, officers, NCOs, even soldiers have experienced that. But for me to be a good leader for my team, I needed to be a good follower. And I saw that in my team you my, 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 subordinates. My, my subordinates they worked so they they I had a staff sergeant that was my my right hand my right hand my operations NCO and the staff sergeant worked tirelessly to make sure that we didn't sink that we didn't sink I was in the office sometimes you know until one two three in the morning and I let her I let her do what she could because she maintained that loyalty and I could not, there's no possibility that I could thank her enough for the work that she did because she learned the job on the fly. I got there with three weeks before we deployed and she got there maybe two weeks before we deployed and she maintained loyalty by my side the entire time throughout all the changes that we went through in the company, throughout all the difficulties. We butted heads sometimes, but at the end of the day, we understood our roles. We understood what we needed to do. And we took more upon ourselves in order to make sure that the people under us were Okay, that they were taken care of within training, within ad administrative work, within just general living. And we made sure we 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 did the best we could for at that at that point it was just for them. It was for the team making sure that everyone was okay.
0: And you know, I, I wanted to kind of look this up while you, you were going through just so I, I had to butcher the name, but there's a book called The Regulations for the Order and Discipline of the Troops of the United States. And this was a book from a general um that i'm gonna try not to butcher this frederick will william von steuben who was brought in uh with from uh with by general george washington it was like hey look like we gotta get the fucking military together because look like i mean it was literally the the country had just been founded we're in a war so they were they were trying to get everything and this and i read how he kind of got the military together it's a really interesting book and this is exactly why i study how the military not just from a psychological but from a logistics perspective how you guys manage people you facilitate how you facilitate the environment because i feel like what's kind of missing from the fitness industry is that that integrity that you're talking about it's missing because it's like hey the only thing that i'm as the owner As your coach, as your trainer, the only thing that I should be providing is is a good workout. I just have to bury you, make you lose some weight, have the 22-inch biceps, make your ass look great in leggings, whatever it is. And it's like that is so superficial. It is so – it's such a simple delivery where it's like, hey, look, if you're running a class, there's a psychology there there's a level of respect there. And it's not to say, look, oh, I'm the trainer. I can't be questioned. I can't be challenged. Um, I know everything like the rule. Number one in here is you question everything. Um, especially yourself. Like that is literally like the first question here. And I, I said, you know, I said, Hey, like, look, guys, like you think this is fucking stupid. What I got on the board, like, let's, let's talk about it. Don't, hold back. Maybe I made a mistake. (laughs) Um, Excuse me. Um, Maybe it's too much. Maybe it, maybe the volume's not enough. Maybe the intensity is too high. Um, Maybe that ref scheme doesn't work with the time domain that I put up. Um, And from another aspect of that, if the people within the class don't have a relationship with each other, and by relationship, I mean if there's no Mutual suffering, if there is no understanding that, hey, these people in here are here for a reason, just as much as I am, and there's no mutual respect there, then it just turns into people mindlessly fitnessing, I guess, in, in, I in a sense. Right. So that, 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 that dichotomy there is really, really important to me. Um, and I, I draw a lot of it. From what I went through in the martial arts world and the military, um, and just listening to my my grandfather because he was in the military for a long time. Um, I, I feel like gyms especially, when you have the opportunity to physically express the limitations that are going on in your head, and to me that's what fitness is. How do you not implement some type of culture with it's just the homeless people outside how do you i don't know if we got that on there but uh how, how do you not implement a culture within that that space
1: so you talked about the fitness space and i have a big perspective from the military side and this i've been exploring this and having need to reflect on this in all areas of my life As a leader, as someone who takes initiative, especially as a leader of of people or groups or teams, you need to give people what they need and not always what they want. Right. And there has to be a balance between the two. And in giving them what they need, you need to provide them structure. You need to provide them knowledge. You need to provide them some kind of purpose and a reason. People are always going to ask the why. The military does all the time. So you need to give them a reason. And if you can provide a justified reason behind what you do with them, it makes a lot more sense you can't just say oh just because i'm the leader i told you to do so i'm because i'm the coach right. no and there's because there's no substance right. behind it there's exactly. no purpose yes and yes it's having the willingness the humility as a leader as a coach to also step back and say what can we improve what are we what am i doing wrong let me get the perspective and the opinions of the people that i'm working with let's let's talk to them let's talk to the youngest soldier in the formation Let's talk to the newest person in the gym that's been here for maybe a month or two, see what works for them, see what they want, see what they want to see improved, what they want to see changed. Talk to that soldier. Does this soldier have a better way of planning this? I've gotten some of the best ideas, some of the best plans, courses of action, as they would call in the military (laughs) for events, tasks, missions, because it was, it was what we call operator level. It's the person in the ground. It's the, 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 Person dri- the soldier driving the truck. Yeah. It's the soldier distributing the fuel. It's my parachute rigger packing and uh, rigging the equipment. Yes. It's, it's getting their perspective with supervision. And if they can provide justified reasons, if your clients can provide justified evidence, data right. on what they've been tracking or what they've been doing on their own. And you can have a conversation about it. And and it, and it makes so much
0: sense. The clarity I think is there because as the, as the, I don't want to say that they're, they're at the bottom of the totem pole, but as the, we'll call them, I don't know, the entry level guy, right? All he knows is to drive the truck. Like he really doesn't. So like all these other things, let's say the higher level guys, they they have so many other things that they have to consider. This guy has one thing. So yeah, the guy is probably going to have a little bit more clarity because while the experience isn't there, the distractions are also not there. Because mm-hmm. it's like, hey, like I noticed that thing. I know my 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 supervisor or whoever, you know, the, my superior, the superior officer has all these other things that he's worrying about. Maybe he doesn't notice this little thing mm-hmm. that maybe he has not necessarily forgotten about, but maybe he just hasn't he hasn't revisited in a while. I agree. Right? And you know, this was another problem that um, I ran into, like at, at at the old organization I was involved with, like there was no feedback loop that was fucking allowed. You need that. It has to be unfiltered and it has to be apologetic. Yes, you do have to sometimes risk being offensive to get to the truth. And by offensive, I not I don't mean attacking someone's personal beliefs or their appearance. I'm talking about just what's going on within the space at the time. And, hey, look, if your ego is hurt, hey, look, maybe you need to start training again because you haven't trained in two years. Like this was the shit I was dealing with. Like, no, like, listen, you are, in, you are not a capable person. You're young. You're healthy. There is no reason why you shouldn't be training every day and, and, and being more involved. Like you're not even 50 and you barely go into work. Because you're the owner.
1: I believe that as a leader, and you said something that really sparked this, as a leader, for you to be effective, for you to continually evolve, to, for you to become better, whether it's a business, a military organization, a team, you need to be honest and truthful. Yeah. And it, it, truthful in, in other areas. You need to be truthful with your team, your clients, the members of the organization, because they need to know what's going on. Maybe not every single detail, but, hey, let's say you know something, something bad happened. Hey, guys, um, we're, we're losing this coach, and this is really going to hurt us on the team. Or, hey, guys, the next two months of our operational tempo, our op tempo, yes. is going to be high. Give people that expectation, and then also be honest and truthful with yourself. Yeah. Say, all right, this is what we're currently doing. This is how we're currently operating. What can we do? to change. Do we need to change? Is it something that I need to do? I need to let go of my pride, my ego, in order to realize I might be doing something that's wrong. Let me ask for feedback, as you said, to understand why the morale's low, why the clients aren't coming back into the gym, why my NCOs and my, my leaders are getting upset with me. What's, what's the real story? And it takes truth, honesty, but also intention. Intention to find out, showing that I'm taking the effort in order to improve, not just for me, but to benefit the entire organization. It's yeah. it's such a difficult thing because people don't want to have those uncomfortable conversations. What not to cut you off?
0: Why do you think that
1: is? Because it's uncomfortable, and, is, and, that, and that's that the it? thing. Okay. Because it's uncomfortable. But what's uncomfortable <clears throat> is we've talked about it. Is confrontation. What's yeah. uncomfortable is Sometimes there's emotion behind it. Think, think about relationships with a significant other. Think yeah. about um, relationships between a, a subordinate and a superior. It's hard, especially as the um, subordinate, someone who may be in a less position of power responsibilities, to bring that up because you think you're going to get, one, in trouble, two, maybe slapped on the wrist or yelled at, or three, you're not going to be considered. Yeah. But if you can bring up a problem, matter and aspect with facts with justifications with yeah. data um something something to back it up not not just of have course. empty words with, yeah. have, have substance behind it um, just don't bring noise yeah exactly just don't bring, bring noise. Most people do make it focused and and bring reason behind it and there's a lot of other ways can, yeah. people some people don't know how to communicate some people are afraid of communication um but there's a lot of ways that you can convey you know issues and have a conversation without it becoming a yelling match, without it becoming a battle of egos. There's there's a really simple way of providing that feedback without making it a, a
0: problem. And I think that's why people, you have one. I don't know. Let's just whatever the conversation is, you get one sentence in and they lose their shit. And it, I think it, I think a big problem is it, it's an exposure issue. They've never gone outside their bubble. They only look at one thing on their phone, maybe one Instagram page, or they look at one news outlet, whatever side that might be. And they're so hypersensitive to anything that is not them or is opposed to them or contradicts them. And as soon as they hear it, it's like they go they go fucking nuts, mm-hmm. right? And I, I run into this um, all the time. And it's like, hey, look, like – you can have two things true at the same time. I could disagree with you, but also respect what you, what you're saying. Exactly.
1: And you and I, we, we talk about this all the time. Yeah. And the lesson, one of the biggest lessons that I learned from um, my rotation again, is that for communication to, to better your communication, whether you are the one speaking or listening is that, you need to go into that conversation with the willingness to understand. Sure. And you need to open yourself up to that before you even have that conversation. The, that
0: cup has to be empty.
1: You need to realize. that so you can fill it. And humble yourself and say, I'm here to understand. I'm here to listen. And it comes with time, practice, and patience. And that, that's some of the things that so some people – Many of us, and I'm guilty of it too. And I just, I, I, same, I, I learned it this year like as if it was like a new thing. But if you practice patience with yourself, with others, you will find that you're able to communicate so much better. If you communicate with the intention to listen, to sit and listen, to want to understand the other person's perspective and you're not waiting for them to end so just that you can respond. And if you're actually processing
0: what they're telling you, you can have a better conversation. Yes. And and I, yes, I, I totally agree with you. And, and I, I think you hit the nail on, on the head with that. And I, I also think it comes from this. I think this is a new culture. Maybe it's not new, but maybe it's just been aggravated a little bit more, but people have a tendency to put themselves in a box, which means, oh, if I'm in a box, you have to be in a box. And if I can't categorize you in a very specific way, then I have to attack you. So it's like, hey, you're either red or you're blue. You're Republican, Democrat. You're liberal, conservative. You're red or blue. What about purple? And let me tell you, that pisses people off. Like, just because you're in the military doesn't mean that this specific amount of criteria follows. Mm -hmm. Just because you were protesting with this specific group doesn't mean that you hit every single one of those. You don't check every single one of those boxes on that list because it's like, oh my God. I, I can't tell how many times you're a gym owner, so you're dumb. That's the first thing. You support FDNY, NYPD, and military. You must be a gun, you know, you must be a gun nut. You must you must be some type of right wing. And it's like, no, I just like training people where fitness matters and I respect what they do. Can I do that without having a political affiliation or a Or a religious affiliation or a social affiliation you know not everything needs a philosophical movement attached to it you know it's just because i grew up with these types of people i respect what they do and to me it's fascinating to train people where fitness is fitness can be the difference between life or death when you go into a burning building if you're ill-conditioned and you got to go up those steps and shit's hitting the fan the last thing you want to do is come up short due to a lack of conditioning, and I find that to tap into the psychology of that, like, like, why can't that just be it, right? So it's really funny yeah. because my whole life
1: I've been out of the box. Uh, yeah, I, I am a mix of so many different interests, yeah, cultures, beliefs, whatever, beliefs, values, um, mindsets, and when I was younger, I, I I always told myself, like, I know I don't fit in. I tried to, oh, I tried yeah. to fit in with the cool kids at school. I tried to fit in with, um, you know, I guess, you know, with the nerds, I'm, I'm a nerd, I guess I'm more lean towards that side, but I was trying to, I was trying to fit in with different people. And I always found myself not fitting in. And one of the best things I've learned in my life is that you don't need to fit in. You don't need to be like everyone else. Right. And I had this conversation with my younger sister. She's just turned 16 years old. Cool. Um she's beautiful. <laughs> I love her and she's just she's she's grown up. She's yeah. grown up since I I've been away last when I first left for um active duty, she was she was either 13 or 12 years old and now she's 16. And one of the things that I told her that made me open my eyes too is I told her, "Hey, when I was younger, I wasn't doing what everyone else was doing. Yeah. But now, now that I'm older, no one is doing what I'm doing either in my personal life, right. My professional career, right. My finances, my other ventures, um, the amount of experience and maturity that I've gained through what I've done. No one else is doing that because I set myself apart when I was younger. I didn't know it back then. And it took me to leave New York. It took me to, get out into the military. It to- took me to go across the world and they would do a different environment under dark, horrible conditions for me to find this about And myself. it's the
0: harder thing to do. It is. It's so easy to say, well, my friends believe this, so therefore I feel like there's an obligation to not necessarily believe what they believe because I believe it too, but there's an oblig- obligatory obligation um, sense that i have to do to appease them because Mm -hmm. if i don't then i'm out of friends along the way you live you learn
1: you grow but you also change
0: you you do yes that's the other thing how could i say i don't know where i'm going to be in i don't know where the
1: where are we going to be in 10 years i can tell you every time i ask myself that question yeah if i tell like hey i'm 25 now and i look back at 20 year old self I would have never oh, imagined yeah. my
0: life to be where it is now. Absolutely. Oh, you. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, if you told me, I mean, I'm a guy that I was always involved with fitness, but this type of fitness, did, I didn't get really involved in until much later in my life mm-hmm. because there was a stigma and there was a, again, there was a box that it was in. Um, and that box was Gold's Gym, LA Fitness <laughs> and Synergy. And that was really, that was really it like crossfit had just when i got into college crossfit maybe had just started to permeate into the mainstream so even that wasn't a thing i mean that was it you're a trainer you want to get involved with fitness you're doing bodybuilding because that was it it was arnold schwarzenegger ronnie coleman jay cutler all these guys and yeah like you got to be a bodybuilder there was no functional fitness thing in the main that, that it was it you you know, you do a trainer. You get paid to work the floor. You work horrible hours. You get paid like shit. And you know, you you have people work on these machines. Along the way, though,
1: can you say that you've you found what what you're passionate about?
0: Yes. Can
1: you say that right now you're doing something that you are, purposed in? Yes. Are you happy doing it? Yes. And that those three tenets right there. I like that. Probably the biggest thing that I walked away after the rotation. Say those again. This, this is for me. This is for Stelis. This is for everyone. And I've learned so much about myself in the past two years. Now I live my life in, in three categories. I want to do things that I feel purposed in. I want to involve myself or I'm passionate about. And then I do things that make me happy. I love so that. So purpose, great. passion, and happiness. Those are the three main things. And if the things that I do in my life are all focused in there, whether it hits once you're all three of them it hits all three it's fantastic
0: and i really think that's the se- quotes secret it's like you have to find out what you love and become extremely good at it and i really believe that everything else will take care of itself it will as long as it's not hurting anybody
1: exactly exactly <laughs> as long as it's something that is productive that is um building something it's creating something it is it is helping you grow helping others develop
0: you really can't go wrong not and enough. and and now that you're back what is it like assimilating back into society because i've had i've had vets come in here and the hardest thing with them is really it's like wow like look like i was in this unit we were overseas together we we went through all of this we went through all this we went through all these experiences and from those experiences we built this, we built this circle, let's call it this, this click. Um, And now I I'm done. I'm no longer in the infantry. I'm no longer a part of this unit. I'm separated from these guys. And now I have to go through this. I have to reinvent myself. And I think this goes back to another thing. You know, people always tend to associate themselves when they were at their best without take into consideration all of the circumstances that allowed that prior self to exist in the first place. So then they come back here and it's like, okay, like these people don't understand the hierarchy. They don't understand the structure. They don't understand the rapport, the culture. And now, you know, I went from that environment to something that's completely different. And then they feel like that their skills can't be used it's like okay like i was you know oh i was look i was i was deployed and doing you know all of these dangerous things and now i'm in starbucks what do i do (laughs) like you know so for me how how do you feel about for me luckily enough
1: i never have really attached myself so closely to what i did in the military to let it define me and i didn't let that carry on when i came home i was riding a huge high of coming home. I came home on July fourth. Oh, what wow. what what a better what day what to come bad, home! Yeah. And, my par- and my parents greeted me at four in the morning with Chick fil A. Like how <laughs> how how American, how welcoming can That's, you get to that? God bless America. And so, but yes. coming home, returning to my, I came back to my house. My family, my mom and my sisters stayed with me in my house in North Carolina for about two weeks. Then I came home on thirty days of leave. Um, it wasn't too hard assimilating back into society for okay because i because i don't really attach myself and identify myself just with the military however a lot of the points that i've talked in in this uh, podcast and what i've really mentioned especially living my life in the areas of happiness passion and purpose i discovered that right i I really took the time to reflect and discovered who i am i cut a lot of ties with friends really or quote unquote friends that weren't creating the symbiotic relationship okay I was giving a lot. People were taking a lot from me. Giving more I, than they took. Exactly, and I decided that and you took. my time and energy is so precious, and this is, everyone's time and energy is precious, it's invaluable, and it is what you offer and give to people. And if people don't respect that, people don't reciprocate that, to me, honestly, that relationship is not worth it Yeah. because it doesn't feed, especially if the, the people and what they do don't feed into my passion, my purpose, or my happiness. So time and energy and managing that with relationships has become so important. Other than that, my life has been so much better because obviously being free from the conditions I was in and I'm also uh, currently transitioning out of the 82nd Airborne Division, having that weight off me and just having the time to really just think about who I am as a son, think about who I am as a brother, as... A man of faith. I think about who I am as a leader, not just with the military, but those aspects. At, at who I am as in life, at its core. Yeah. Thinking about who I am in those areas, where am I doing wrong? What am I doing well in? How can I mend broken relationships or fix those areas? It really, really opened my eyes to so much, and I've never been more clear in my life of what my 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 purpose, my passion, and where my happiness comes right. from. And also in my in my own life, I've never been closer to God ever than before, and it's and into such a beautiful thing because I'm managing my relationships, I'm managing my time, I'm pursuing professional personal matters that 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 build not just myself but my my community, people like you, Stelios, You're that, right. that I'm, I'm I'm visiting around um, all the country, and I'm having conversations that I enjoy. I'm not forcing myself into situations where I feel like it's it's um. It's just to be there, or I'm checking a box, or I'm just pleasing this person. Right. And I challenged myself to make sure that I was having productive um, conversations that were not based off people, were not based off of um, teasing others, making fun of others, um, political, um, like extreme matters, whatever it may be. I was, I was talking about ideas. I was talking about who, who, who you know Chris is at the core. What makes you feel happy? passionate and purpose
0: you're asking questions
1: exactly and i was almost rediscovering life in a way because i'd experienced so much darkness that i always knew that i was a more positive person and i i I maintained that when i was over there i maintained that that standard of mine that's part of my standard and then when i came back it just kind of it came out so much more because i was just happy to be around people that respected me people that um I had healthy boundaries. I had healthy relationships and boundaries with. I had people that wanted to, you know, be invested into my life, and I was investing back.
0: Right, and and I've, yeah. So I guess the acknowledgement of that appreciation, I guess, just got amplified when you did come back. And just to clarify, you know, when I was talking about these people, you know, I, I'm not speaking for the entire military when I say, you know, in terms of assimilating back. I'm speaking purely from. The amount, the, the people that we've had here who had a hard time, and then you know my my uh, my grandfather who you know was in the military was depl- you know was in Korea at nineteen saw some horrible things, dealt with some horrible things, but I felt I I really feel like when when the the military when you guys come back, I feel like that talking about it helps. So much, and maybe it doesn't work for everyone. I don't want to make a general statement, but being able to have a conversation, a heartfelt conversation, not just like, "Oh, well, how do you feel today? Oh, you're right? are you feel alright? Are you okay?" And then they kick you out the door, like because there is a like, like you said, like you, you kind of came out as a different person at, at the other at the other end of this, right? And you, you, I feel like that doesn't maybe get acknowledged enough, and i i know for my grandfather like almost like his his i felt like for him the hardest thing was he felt underappreciated when he came back um and i also feel like that he he got uh he had a hard time um getting out of that culture mm-hmm. and maybe listen that could have been just a him thing Right. I'm not, again, I'm not speaking for the entire military, United States military, but there is a, there is a culture that you cannot replicate unless the, unless you put the buy-in, unless you had the buy-in from the beginning.
1: And I think the times are different now because we, we talk about World War II vets that are still alive and Vietnam, Korea all the other previous wars and, and leaders soldiers who have come before me in service, there was a lot more impact. There was a lot more things that were going on. Sure. Um, it was a lot more devastating and to not to say that our involvement in the Middle East has not been devastating, but um, as a logistics officer, I've been kind of far away from that. Sure. I've been far away from that. And my, the priority and focus on my job is, isn't in that area, but i imagine that for those guys, what they experienced and what they actually did on ground, combat, non-combat, you were you were with the team, yeah. and you bond in those those hardships and experiences, and every everyone feels that on their own. I think what made it what makes it more difficult for guys like that or any anyone that used to be in some kind of team or group is that you you had a sense of you felt a sense of purpose yes. that you were with and it is great. Whether you were on a collegiate, professional, athletic team, whether you were in the military during some uh, critical time in history, um, whether you just you know had this gym on your own and imagine years from now, um, you moved on to something else. People miss being part of a team. People miss having a sense of purpose, whether that's driven from themselves or something they've taken from the outside. I prefer the first. But at the end of the day, I think it's important for us to realize what um, our purposes besides the external things that are around us. What 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 drives you to do what you do every day? What drives you to be happy? What drives you to feel passionate and purpose? Yeah, like, what matters. What, what what matters? And I think that's why I didn't have too much of a hard time, not to discredit anyone that else has had no, a hard yeah, time because that is a different conversation of course. with military and uh, either you know, veteran, combat veteran, outreach, different problem. Different podcast, yes, of course. <laughs> but um, for me, and this is for this is for everyone. It's it's finding out like what what gets you moving. What 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 do you want to find out in
0: this life? And, and I think people underestimate how buried that is, and that's why I also like doing endurance. You want to see what's really going on in people's heads. You put them on a Fucking endurance thing for an hour and a half. You're gonna see those layers slowly shed away. Cause, like, it, you know, I, I always make this analogy too. Like, you ever see like, I don't know, like Hafthor bajorson What did he deadlift? Like 1,100 yeah, pounds. It was 1, like 000. the world, right? Yeah, yeah, something like that. What did he do after? He's pounded on his chest. Yeah. You ever see someone finish like an ultra marathon? The fucking crying. They're like collapsing. That's gonna They're be crying. me. Yeah, <laughs> that would be anyone. They're crying because like but i think that's because like there's literally nothing left but the emotion and the the self that you care that you were able to carry through that entire process
1: peeling away as you said the the physicality of things and getting down to why you do things at its core we come in here and we, we come in here to train to make ourselves better physically to be ready for what it is that we want to do however take take away the physical aspect of it why, why are we training right our, our minds and our bodies why are we doing this to ourselves and one of the other one of the other huge lessons that i've learned is that i want to live my life at its fullest extent in every direction sure I believe that life is most important at its critical moments, whether that's extreme sadness or extreme joy, mm-hmm. extreme success or extreme failure. And like we said before, you can't know one without the other, but I think it's crucial to experience every part of it because who are you when? things get tough. Who are you when things are going really well and how you respond to those different types of situations is how you define yourself. Yeah. When I get super successful and super rich, do I flaunt in people's faces and do I, do I get greedy? Do I do it for the money? Do I start to discredit my family, the people that supported me now because I'm, I'm financially successful or when I'm, let's say if I was broke and if I was physically injured, do I just, you know, do I just let myself go? Do I not maintain my standard and keep my focus in order to get myself better, dig myself out of this hole? It's what you do in those times of, you
0: know, those really critical times is what, you
1: know, who who you make yourself and, as.
0: And I think that arrival is a trap because if I've arrived wherever I am along my journey, when I say arrive meeting, oh, I would, at A, I want to get to Z, I got to Z and that's it. If I don't place myself in a position to ask better questions of myself, then I'm not learning anything. It's like, okay, I did the military, you you did the military thing, right? It's like, and you're still doing it, but it's like, hey, like, I went through this difficult process when I was overseas. Why was I able to get through that? You asked that question. Oh, because like you said, I was able to maintain this standard. So maybe that standard that I was able to maintain that got me through that thing, I can apply it now outside of the military into the civilian population. Then you, then you do it there. And then it's like, hey, like, look, like, maybe there's another way I could do it. Maybe that's not the only tool in the toolbox. Maybe there's a, another way. Maybe that doesn't work in this situation. What do I, how do I adapt? Am I adaptive enough? Why am I not adaptive? But, and then you, you keep asking, and I tell people this all the time, like, look like it's not enough that you lost the 10 pounds. It's not a loss that you lost the you you lost the 10 pounds, you have the abs, whatever. Now what? Okay, I, why are you losing the weight? like I don't care that you want to look good for your high school reunion in June. Like okay. That's important, but it's not the most important thing. What matters is, hey, like you need to lose weight because you're diabetic and you have high blood pressure and the weight that you have is putting an excess amount of pressure on your spine. That's that's the more important thing, right? So
1: I think the key concept that we, we talked about in our conversations before this, during this podcast is that we need to continually look at ourselves yes. look, look at what are we doing that's right what are we doing that's wrong how can we improve ourselves and for me what i've realized in my life how i've gotten to where i am now today is because i had to continuously evolve my mindset i was in a place where i was sad i was shy i was timid and i didn't understand who I really was. I was bullied severely in school for every which way and reason. I was at times not living up to my parents' expectations. And I listened to that. I let it become yeah. who I thought they thought I was. And I didn't, I didn't live for myself. And now, years later, doing what I believe makes me happy, feel passionate and purposed, I've never been better, but I want to leave you and wrap up with sure. this, this final, not really final. This is kind of all where it started for me. And I contributed this back to 2013 high school, junior year, Chris Gabayan, someone who did not know what he was doing. Someone who was able to figure it out. but was given these words in order to really just change my life. And it goes like this, this quotes by Kurt Hahn. He's an author. The quote goes, there is more in us than we know, if we can be made to see it. Perhaps for the rest of our lives, we will be unwilling to settle for less. And ever since I heard that, I started listening to myself, telling myself, you are capable of more. You are more than what people say you are. You just have to tell yourself that you can. And as cliches may sound believe in that manifest it for yourself and go for it and from there I've discovered every year that there's more in me there's more in me I keep telling myself that there's more in you there's more in you I just keep finding I grow I change and I become just an even better version of myself than ever before, and this is going to keep going. That yeah. should be, that's the way it should be for all of us. That's
0: absolutely, no, I, I totally agree. And hey, that's a great way to uh, wrap this up. And you know, I thoroughly enjoyed this. You know, you're a huge inspiration uh, for me, um, and also the people in this gym. Um, you know, we've uh, you know, you're you're, you're you uh, you definitely lead by example, uh, which we're all about here and uh yeah man this was an awesome conversation and uh did you have anything else other than that awesome quote and mic drop
1: (laughs) i just want to say thank you for you know the space the the conversations that um that we've had because it's been about maybe six months since i've been back in the united states and i'll tell you every time i've come back to west Hempstead, i always find myself coming back here and so stellius thank you for your space your gym your community your time but also for this great conversation
0: awesome Thank you very much until next time.